You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, in our last lecture, we were talking about Isaiah chapter 53. This is an extremely important chapter in the entire book of Isaiah. In fact, in the entire scripture itself. Now, recall with me that in the days of Isaiah, the issue at hand was idolatry. And in idolatry, the consciences of the people were captivated and enslaved to things that were not true. That these consciences were bound to idols, false images of God. They were not informed by God's word. So as Isaiah comes to speak to them his heavy law, it reboots that conscience. It restarts it. It reprograms it so that the conscience itself can clearly see from God's word what God himself says is right or wrong. What God himself says is good or evil. In this way, the people are not trying to be right in their own sight or wise in their own eyes. That The people of God are being instructed, that their hearts have been reprogrammed. Because remember, they had followed the false priests, the false teachers, the false prophets, who all led them astray from God's word into a different way, so that their consciences were bound to something that was not God's word. And whenever a conscience is bound to anything that's not God's word, it becomes enslaved to idolatry. These people, of course, they did not see their sin. They thought God was happy with them based upon what the false priest taught them. But in comes Isaiah to make everything right by turning everything upside down that the law comes to reveal their sin, that they would recognize God truly as the only judge who can judge between good and evil, right and wrong, and deliberate with death and life. But it is in this passage itself, Isaiah chapter 53, where the image that God imprints upon our hearts is one of the crucified Christ, that God himself becomes man, that he himself becomes judged and guilty and condemned, not because of his own sin, but because of our sin. That this image would be imprinted upon our heart is the preaching of the gospel, that Isaiah himself is speaking tenderly to the heart of the crushed and the afflicted, That in this passage, we hear of one who has been crushed and afflicted. One who was considered rejected by God as the people rejected him. That he was oppressed, he was afflicted, that he was stricken, smitten by God. Now it's in this very chapter that we see the correct image of the Lamb. He is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Not merely that we would have the historical account and say we know what happened in the crucifixion of the Christ, 
but that beyond the historical understanding, we would have the true function of the crucifixion. Christ was crucified, yes, but why was he crucified? He was crucified for you. He was crucified for me. He bears our sins, our iniquity, our transgression, and he takes them away from us so that our sin becomes his sin and his righteousness becomes our righteousness, that our guilt becomes his guilt and his innocence becomes our innocence. Now, when Isaiah portrays the crucified Christ, this is the vision and image that God wants us to see, that we would behold the servant of Yahweh, the servant who suffers in our stead. Now, remember, in the days of Isaiah, there were all kinds of images of God that were being taught to the people. But these false gods, these false images, were merely coming from the imagination of a corrupted human heart. Here we have the truth itself that God reveals to us, teaching us, giving to us the knowledge of righteousness, that Christ himself is our righteousness, that Christ himself is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The image of Christ that we are given is the image of the God that we have in the Incarnation, the God who is our Savior, the one who bears our sin and is our Savior from our sins. He delivers us from the enslavement of sin in our own life. And therefore, Isaiah depicts him as one who bore our griefs, carried our sorrows, pierced for our transgressions, and crushed for our iniquities. It was this chastisement that was put upon him, brought to him which brings to us peace, that he is wounded that we may be healed. Now remember in Deuteronomy chapter 32, those words of Yahweh that speak to us, warning us about the the allurement of idolatry, which again is not statue worship, but trying to worship God out of the imagination of what we think God wants. And those idols, those false gods, are always pleased by our own pleasures. The problem is our own pleasures are all tainted with sin. These are sinful pleasures. And like we said, any conscience that is formed apart from God's word is enslaved to idolatry. You see, the conscience can be deceived and is deceiving without the Holy Spirit. And therefore, in Deuteronomy 32, Moses instructs the people of God and warns them about idolatry in its dire consequences, that idolatry will bring separation from the true God, that idolatry will bring sin and death. Yet it is in that same song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32 that we are told to look to the true image of God. Not these false images, but the true image of God who is the Son incarnate, the very image of the invisible. He is the visible image. And therefore, he speaks those words of promise, saying, I am 
even I am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And no one can take you out of my hand. Now, these are the words of promise. The Christ is the one who comes to be our Savior, to deliver us from the enslavement of sin, to destroy all the idols that are in our own hearts, to remove idolatry and false worship in our midst, and to instruct us in true worship, which is faith in Him alone. Therefore, in Isaiah chapter 53 at verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. And Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Going on in verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? That, of course, ends on a question. Who considered this? Who knew this? Now, in idolatry, the consciences of the people were projecting a false image of God, one that came from the imagination of their own heart. One that thought that whatever they did that pleased them, pleased him. That in their festivals, in their service, in their worship, in their way of entertaining their gods, they were merely just entertaining themselves. But it is that law that comes to reboot that conscience, to instruct it properly, that God alone is the judge. But then that becomes the image that is given to the conscience. That the image of God being judge is that he will judge between right and wrong, good and evil, death and life. Therefore, the image that you have with a guilty conscience is one of judgment. That God stands before you as judge and you stand before God as condemned. But it's Christ who is condemned for us. And it is in his condemnation that he is pronounced guilty for us that we now see a different image, an image that is given to us in the gospel, the good news, the grace of God, that we may properly see God's face in Christ. That Christ is the one who has compassion for us, that he is handed over for us to bear our sin, to take the burden and the weight of the guilt upon our conscience and to bear it himself, that he would take that to be his own sin, and then he would give to us his own righteousness. You see, this is the image that God gives to us to imprint upon our hearts the crucified Christ, that this is the true God, the true God who comes to dwell with us. This is Emmanuel, the one who comes to be with us in our affliction, 
in our suffering, in our pain, in our sorrow, and in our sin. Why? So that he can take our sin away. He is the sacrificial lamb who comes to lead the sheep back. He is the one who bears all of our sin. In the Old Testament, the people of God were constantly looking to other images of God, other thoughts about God. But again, all of these ideas, they rob God of his glory. And instead, they put the glory back upon the people in the imagination of their hearts. But instead of looking to these other images of God, Isaiah is sent so that the people of God would see the true vision that is given to Isaiah the prophet to be seen, that they would have their eyes opened, that God would reveal himself as the one who is merciful and compassionate, the one who is slow to anger, the one who is abounding in steadfast love. Now again, notice that when the law comes to instruct the conscience, it gives to us the image of a judge, a strict and stern judge. And that law itself cannot justify. That law can only declare guilty or innocent. Now the problem that we have in humanity is inherited sin. We all have sinned in thought, word, and deed. By our conception and birth, we are brought into this life of this corrupted, fallen creation as sinners. Therefore, we all stand guilty before God. So the more that we are instructed by the law of God, we receive the knowledge of sin. And the more that we receive the knowledge of sin, it increases in us. It's magnified and it is multiplied. For the law gives to us the image of God as the judge. Yet, the good news comes, the gospel, the message about Jesus, the Lamb. This gives to us a different image to place upon our hearts. Not the image of an angry judge, but instead that we would behold the servant of Yahweh, the one in whom his soul delights, his chosen one, the one upon whom the Spirit of God rests that this is the one that we are to look at. We're not to look at all these false images, but instead, again and again, we are assured to behold God, the one who is seen in the flesh. Behold my servant. And here in Isaiah 53, behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. In fact, this is precisely what John the baptizer did when he was sent by God. He went down to the Jordan to baptize in the water. And when he saw the Holy Spirit reside and rest upon one, the one and only Son, this was the one in whom the Father was well pleased. That John saw this one, and now he began to proclaim this one to all. When he was preaching, he was giving them the image of the Son saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Now, that image of God that is given to us by the gospel is imprinted upon our hearts. In fact, Paul will pick up this sacrificial language of the Lamb in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, saying, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. You see, that image of the Paschal Lamb That was the image back in the Exodus. And as we've said many times before, in the book of Isaiah, we are given an image of a new Exodus, a greater Exodus, that God will come and redeem his people from slavery and bondage, but not merely to the house of Pharaoh, but instead far more spiritual slavery to Satan himself that when the people of God were taken out of Egypt by God's mighty hand in his outstretched arm, it was that night of the Passover in which the Paschal Lamb was sacrificed and his blood was poured out and placed upon the doors so that on the doorpost, wherever the blood was, the people were passed over. They were brought from death into life. They were redeemed and purchased with a price. Instead of their firstborn sons dying, that paschal lamb died in their stead. That this was the image and picture of the substitutionary atonement. Vicariously, this lamb was sacrificed in the place and in the stead of those who should be dead. That the law itself comes and it condemns, it says guilty, and the wages of sin is death. But Christ comes and he takes that sin and he bears it himself and he dies so that we would not die in him. Now in the New Testament, this image of the lamb is used not only in John's gospel or when Paul makes reference to it in 1 Corinthians, but also even in the book of Revelation. That Jesus, after his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, is still seen as the Lamb who has been slain. In Revelation 5, we get this image, this vision, this revelation to us, in which we hear, Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a Lamb standing, as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now here in a a rather dramatic image, we see the lamb who has the Holy Spirit upon him, the sevenfold gift of the spirit depicted in eyes and horns. It is this lamb who died, shed his blood, but yet lives. It is this lamb who was cut off from the land of the living. Yet three days later, he rises again. And now he stands once more, no longer dead in the ground, but now standing before the Father for us. And he stands as our advocate before the Father. Like John writes in his first letter, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, 
but for the sins of the whole world. His blood has been shed to set us free to be his people. Now, in that passage of Revelation chapter 5, when you see the Lamb, you understand the significance of his blood, why his blood was shed. It wasn't shed for his sin. It was shed for our sin. In Revelation chapter 5 at verse 9, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And again, later on at verse 12 in Revelation 5, we hear this, that there was a loud voice saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You see, with false images, with false gods, idols and idolatry, what people are doing is stealing and robbing the glory from Christ and taking it away from him and giving it to themselves and to their own works in their own ways to make God happy. Therefore, they're not only robbing Christ of his glory, but they're also stealing true comfort from the consciences of the people, assuring them that they are okay in God's sight, even though they're not. For without the word of promise, there can be no faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Therefore, they have been sold a false sense of security. But here in Isaiah 53, we want to learn the true security that we have, that it's only in Christ do we have salvation. Our security and assurance of salvation is found only in our Savior, the one who kills and makes alive, the one who wounds and heals. In fact, the one who was killed so that we would be made alive, the one who was wounded so that we may be healed. It is by his wounds that we are healed. His blood sets us free to be the people of God. Now, when Jesus died the death that we deserved, we need to be very clear here that this did not happen by accident. It's not like God did not know this was going to happen. It's not like Jesus came into the city and he thought that the people would just follow him and for some strange reason they chose not to. There's no need to fall into these strange teachings of dispensationalism that we now live in the great parentheses. It's kind of like plan B, that originally Jesus came for the Jews, but now he has to settle for the Gentiles. Instead, God himself had foreordained this before the foundation of the earth. Jesus is the lamb who has been slain before the foundation of the earth, as the book of Revelation will say. Or more clearly, here in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, it was Yahweh's will to crush him. It was Yahweh's desire to do this so that we might be saved by him. This was the whole point of instituting the entire sacrificial system with the Levites. That every time you saw an animal and the blood was shed, for without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. 
that every time you saw an animal being slaughtered in your benefit, in your behalf, this always pointed toward the substitutionary atonement, the vicarious satisfaction that Christ himself dies in our stead, and his blood cleanses us. His blood makes us the people of God. His blood actually sanctifies us and makes us the holy city. The death of Jesus on the cross is not just merely an expression of how much God loves us. Instead, the death of Jesus on the cross teaches us the true image of God, that he is the lamb that bears our sin. He is the lamb that takes all of our sin away, and then his righteousness counts to us by faith. Our sin is imputed to him, and his righteousness is imputed to us. Now back to Isaiah chapter 53, picking up at verse 9. They made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Now again with these words, notice the picture of a lamb before the slaughter who speaks not. There was no deceit in his mouth. In fact, in the epistle of Peter the Apostle, in the first letter, chapter 2, he echoes these same words by saying, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You see, he is that lamb who was silent, the one who takes our sin. He doesn't argue and say, this sin doesn't belong to me. Instead, he bears it. It does belong to him. It is his sin because he takes it from us. And then he gives us his righteousness. But now notice here that he was put in the grave with the wicked and a rich man. The grave is the language of the burial, that he died like an ungodly man. He was buried like a rich man. So he was hung between two common criminals, those who were guilty before God. Therefore, everybody who was at the base of the cross saw one who was cursed by God on the tree. But yet he became a curse so that we may become blessed in him. Now, the idea of being buried with the rich man, of course, is seen for us in Matthew chapter 27, when we are told that when he was taken down from the cross, there was a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was one of the disciples of Jesus. And he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock, and he rolled a great stone in the entrance of the tomb and went away. That Jesus was buried as a rich man, but yet, of course, he was crucified with the wicked. The two robbers were hung next to him, one on the right and one on the left that we would see the image in this passage of Isaiah of one who is condemned, one who is crushed, who is afflicted 
who is forsaken by God. But this is not for his own sin that he committed. This is for our sin that we have committed. Going back to Isaiah 53, picking up at verse 10. Yet it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, for the will of Yahweh shall prosper in his hand. Now again, we want to be very clear here that it was not by accident. It wasn't that God did not know these things would happen, as our open theists now seem to think. But instead, God is God, and he knew these things before they ever took place. He knows all. He instituted this whole system of punishment, capital punishment to be clear, execution, so that we would clearly see that sin brings death. And this is exactly what we have all gained in our own life. The only thing that we can truly boast that we own is our own iniquity. Yet John writes in his first epistle, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer Jesus Christ continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.